My name is Victor Prince. I'm an author with HarperCollins, and I write books on leadership. My latest book is called The Camino Way, Lessons in Leadership from a Walk Across Maine. And it's about the, the lessons in leadership and life lessons in general that I've learned by walking the Camino de Santiago Trail across Spain. The Camino is this thousand-year-old pilgrimage trail across Spain that over 300,000 people a year do you know, before COVID. And so I walked it, and then I ended up, I wrote a blog about the lessons I learned and that blog snowballed into a book deal. And then I interviewed about 100 pilgrims from 16 countries and got their lessons from the Camino. And it all gelled together in a book. And the book came out in English and a few years ago. Then it's come out in, in Spanish and Chinese and Korean since. Yeah, okay. it's, I love talking about all things Camino. And how's the book doing? Well, it must it's be doing well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It keeps coming out in new languages. So that's a good sign. Yeah, that is a really good sign. And, it, it, and the, the neat thing is it hit the top 100 in, I think, eight different categories on Amazon because it's a crossover between travel and leadership. And even, even though it's not religious, it even, it even peaks in some of the religious ones as spiritual travel as well. So yeah, it's fun. Wow. That's great. That's a big deal. I'm an Amazon author and indie author and I've, yeah, I've never hit the top 100 in anything. So yeah, I know that's not an easy feat. Believe me, I do know. So congratulations. That's really awesome. So what made you decide to walk the Camino? Yeah, I was taking a a six month career break, a sabbatical, because I, I worked in a government and then private sector and government. And I'd reached the career goal that I wanted to, to do. So then I, I was like uh, in my early forties and I was like, all right, geez, what am I going to do next? So I decided to take six months off and travel and figure it out. And I first did this biking trip across Europe, which was great, but it was a super lonely experience because you don't meet anyone when you're biking. So then I, I'd hike the Camino de Santiago because I do hiking and biking trails for fun. I chose the Camino, not because I was looking for some big spiritual experience. I chose it because I'm too lazy to camp. And it's one of the few trails in the world where you can hike for a whole month without having to camp because it's so old that villages have sprouted up along the way. So that's how I chose the Camino. And I just thought it was going to be another trail, but it had a bigger impact on me. And that's why I keep going back and I've written so much about it. So that's how I got on the Camino because I'm too lazy to camp. (laughs) That's an awesome reason. I love it. There's, there are a couple other trails if you're interested that you don't have to camp along. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love hearing about those kind of. Yeah. There's one in Scotland that a friend of mine did. And there's one that this woman I met on a train here, she lives in Dresden, Germany, and it was from either Rome to Napoli or Napoli South. And she said she chose that one because it was very few people do that one. And she'd read about it in a book. Yeah. There's a few others. Like last year I was supposed to do the Via Francigena, which is a kind of goes down from, I was supposed to walk into Rome but it got canceled because of COVID, but that's another one with, where you can walk. And then there's like Hadrian's Wall in Northern England that's on my list. Yeah, cool. there's a bunch out there. Yeah. And who doesn't want to see anything that has to do with Hadrian? I don't know. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> it's true. Wow. I, there's so many questions. I guess if it's from what I've been reading and I've been reading a lot about it, it's known as the, you're, you're all called pilgrims and it's known as the spiritual journey. And can you tell people a little bit about like the stamping system? Yeah. So the stamping system, there's two documents that kind of uh, form a base of, of the Camino de Santiago. So the first one is you get a pilgrim passport and it's like a brochure type thing. I've got one here actually. So it's a, it's this document like this. And it does two things. It identifies you as a pilgrim, and that enables you to stay in the hostels along the way that are just for pilgrims at very low cost. But the other thing it does, it gives you a place where as you walk along the way, you get these stamps from each place you stay. And that proves that you're actually walking and you're making the stops along the way. And then when you get to Santiago de Compostela, you take this completed thing with all your stamps, and then they use that as proof to give you the Compostela certificate, which is the centuries-old certificate written in Latin that says you completed the Camino de Santiago 
And in the old days, it often that represented the forgiveness of your sins as well. That's kind of what the passport is and the, the compostel certificate is. And, you know, it kind of leads into another question, which is, are you religious in any way? Yeah, I'm not particularly religious and I didn't do it for religious reasons. But when you get your compostel, they ask you, did you do it for religious, spiritual, or just kind of tourism reasons? And about, I think about, you know, maybe 30, 40% do it for uh, kind of spiritual reasons. Maybe a third do it for religious reasons. A lot of people who do it are from Spain and they're very Catholic, but a lot of people just do it for uh, trail reasons. But the one thing you learn is that you don't have to be religious to walk it, but you just, you learn to respect what people are doing it. So some people are doing it for some very deep spiritual reasons. Other people are doing it for that. You just learn to respect people along the way and, and have your own Camino and to respect everyone else along the way. Yeah. It's as religious or not as religious as you want to make it. Right. And what did you end up telling, saying at the end of your journeys? Yeah, I think, I think my first, so I, I, like, I say it's, it's a spiritual thing. So I'm not like, I'm not Catholic or anything like that. So I, I usually say it's a spiritual journey because it, it is, even if the first time, you know, I wasn't doing it to get that, but it just has this impact on you because of the history and the, the history of the people who walked it and the beautiful villages and churches you go through and the people you meet, it just, it, it has a huge impact on you, you know, if you let it. So it's different than other trails that way. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And then did you ever go to the masses that are offered in each of the little towns? Yeah, I went to a few. So I remember there's one uh, along the way, there's you know, a few where sometimes you stay in places that might be run by nuns or, or monks and others. So I remember one place that the monks were saying that was very kind of uh, charming. And then at the end, of, when you get to Santiago de Compostela, they have a mass at the big cathedral just for pilgrims. And it's every day, at, I think it's at noon. And sometimes they have the big Buta Fumero, the big thing that throws incense across. But that's a pretty special thing because it's not only is the mass just for pilgrims, but it's also a reunion for pilgrims. Because as you walk, you can walk with the same people and you bounce into them here and there. And maybe you get a head, day ahead or day behind, but you all meet up at the uh, the mass. So it's like every day it's like this big just pilgrim reunion because about a thousand people on average finish the Camino every day. And then the next day it all starts over again. So Santiago de Compostela is a unique city that every day it's both a happy and sad place. People are, are so happy that they finished this journey and all that. Then they're sad that it's over, but it's, it's this remarkable city that, and the mass there is a cornerstone of that. Yeah. It sounds to me like bittersweet because you're really happy that you actually accomplished it, but you're sad to see all of the people that you've connected with go too, as well as the experience. Cause that's part of the experience. Yeah, definitely. If you do the, the traditional whole thing, so it takes about 32 days of 15 miles a day, 25 kilometers a day, to do the traditional starting point in San jean pierre de port just on the other side of the Pyrenees to get to Santiago. So if you're just hiking every day for a month like that, you get so detached in a good way from the world that you just, you decompress, you get away from your cell phone, you get, you get away from work and all that, and then you, you're done. And then you're like, oh my God, I got to go back in the real world. And it's pretty intense that way. And then you find a lot of pilgrims talk about when they get home, they're they're like looking for the yellow arrows to follow because life's very simple on the Camino. You just follow these yellow arrows and you show up at a new place and you, know, you go to bed and you, you wake up and you do it again. And it's very, it's physically exhausting, but it's mentally relaxing. That And that makes sense. I feel like that's what a pilgrimage, I've never done one, but I've gone to Burning Man many times and it reminds me, especially the reintegration because you're in a different environment where nothing that we know of our everyday life and consumerism and just the, the go, go do it's gone. You're stripped of it. And I think like you're stripped of that a lot. In my opinion, I am when I travel, but I'm not necessarily stripped of it more in just a different environment. And so I'm not doing the same things, but it's still the same ideas of you can go to a restaurant if you need to, you can, <laughs> you probably know where you're going to sleep that night and something like the Camino, you don't know. 
You don't know where your next meal is going to be. What's going to be in the next town, but which restaurant? And it's just, it's so unplanned and like going with the flow. Yeah, you go with the flow. And there's a great thing too, that everyone is in your simplest existence because everyone's dressed the same. You might have two or three changes of clothes. You're very simple. It's not about the car you drive or the or the, the house you live in. It's just, everyone's got their basic level that you're just walking. And when you're walking, it's even though our shoes have gotten better and, and all that, it's not that different than what pilgrims a thousand years ago tried. We walk at the same speed. You're going through villages that look the same. A lot of the thing is going through pastures and, and crops and all that kind of stuff. A lot of that hasn't really changed. You, you really feel a connection with the past. And when you get down to your bare essentials like that, I think that's a a big appeal of the Camino over time that it's timeless that way. Yeah. So interesting. It really is. Yeah. You're going back in time. That's awesome. And you, to- you, you almost feel like, cause people have been doing it for a thousand years, literally since the nine hundreds, eight fifties. And then, and you think about why people have done this crazy journey. It's because, you know, there's common things here. It's either like to get a new beginning, to get over something in the past, to do an adventure, to see something new. And those reasons really haven't changed that much. Like we have these common things with our ancestors from centuries ago. It's just, it's really amazing. Yes. I've been reading that a lot of people do it, especially the people from the United States, because, well, that's the books I've been reading are people from the U.S., are because they have something they need to get over. A death uh, of someone close to them, an illness that they've just mastered, or that's the wrong word, but beaten, or, or just some significant issue that's happened in their life that drives them to this moment of forced inner silence. And is that what happened to you at all in, in any of yeah. your journeys? It's a, it becomes a thing where not everyone can take a month off. If you want to do the full Camino, the, the traditional one, but not everyone can take a month off. So you're probably in some sort of break or maybe a lot of teachers do it because they get a natural thing there. But when you separate yourself from the world for months, so it does become an opportunity to, to do that. And there's a tra- tradition on the Camino, on the French way, which is the most popular route. There's many different routes, but the French way is the most popular one. And about two thirds, three quarters of the way through the month long journey, there's this hill called the, the Cruz de Ferro. And it, it, in fact, it's the highest point on the Camino. And it's a simple iron cross, but around it is this huge mountain of stones because there's a tradition that pilgrims, they get a small stone at the beginning of their trip. And when they get to Crucifer, they, they put it down. And many say a prayer. Maybe it's to remember a loved one who they've lost. Maybe it's to, to put something in their past, the baggage and all that. But you put a thing down there and this, these little pebbles have created a mountain around this wow. cruise. And it's like symbolically, it's your chance to put something you know, down there. And for me, for example, I, I didn't do it. I didn't do my first Camino for that goal, but I had a goal. When I got there, I was like, you know what? I, I was addicted to nicotine before I got there. And I put the stone down. I said, I'm not going to do nicotine anymore. And by God, I've, I've been addicted for years, tried to quit. And I have uh, not been addicted to nicotine ever since that first Camino eight years ago by doing that. And the reason is, I think the memory of me quitting is associated with the Camino. It's such a better memory than when I see people you know, using nicotine. I don't miss it because it reminds me of the Camino in a nice way. It's really odd that way, but it worked for me. That's awesome. Congratulations. Nicotine's a hard yeah. one to quit. I do know that. Yeah. Damn, so yeah. congratulations. That's great. And then I have to ask about your feet and the blisters that <laughs> I've heard about. So what did that happen to you? Yeah. Like you, the cool thing is that you, everyone gets blisters and everyone's got theories and how they start and how to treat them and all that kind of stuff. And one of the stories I tell in the book is about on my first Camino, the blisters really started hitting me about like day eight or something like that. And I limped into this little town and I got there late because I was slow. And as I, I went to dinner, I showed these other pilgrims next to me my blisters. And they said, you know, that one's getting infected. You need to get that taken care of. Otherwise, you, know, you may not be able to go on. So luckily that there was a one pharmacy in town 
And it was open late. So I limped over there. And when I got there, the door was closed, but there was still light on. And there was an older gentleman in back sweeping up. And I didn't knock because I didn't want to bother him. But he, he saw me, he came to the door and he cracked the door open just a little bit. And he said one word to me. He said, Peregrino, which is the Spanish word for pilgrim. And I said, see, sí, and, and I pointed to my foot because I didn't know the, the word for uh, blister in Spanish. He said, un momento. And he, he opens the door and he comes out and he pushes this call box by the, uh, on the outside of the door. And he says a bunch of stuff in Spanish and tells me to wait. And then about five, five minutes or so later, this very irritated pharmacist shows up and she starts asking me questions. And then I think she thinks I need heart medication or something. And I'm like, no, it's just a blister. And then so she looks at me and then she looks at the old man. And then she says a bunch of stuff they don't teach us in seventh grade Spanish. <laughs> but I could tell she was not happy to be there. And the old man was like, oh, I didn't understand. He blamed the American Spanish, my Spanish stuff. But then, so she was there. So she gave me the, the antiseptic anyway. And then, but and then she was cashing me out. The old man walks me back to the door. And as we get to the door, he, he shakes my hand and he winks at me. And he says, Buen Camino. So he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew he was going to get in trouble, but he saw a stranger in need and he decided to be the kind stranger. And when I think about that small act of kindness on his part, had I not gotten that blister treated, I may not have you know, finished that Camino. And had I not finished that Camino, I certainly would have written a book about it. So that little act of kindness on his part had a huge impact on my life. And and that's the lesson I love sharing with people that you never know how the smallest act of kindness on your part might might help someone else out. So that's a lesson I call well, be the kind stranger. I love that story. That's awesome. Did you wink back? Did you hug him? Did you let him know you knew? <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I was like too caught up. I was like trying to figure I was going on the moment. But then the about next time I, I did the Camino again, like just after the book came out, in fact, I it was I had a I had an advanced copy of the book and I walked back to that town and I went into that pharmacy to see if I could find that old man and I asked about him and they said no he he didn't work there anymore because I wanted to give him a copy of the book and tell him Aww. but it wasn't to be but maybe he'll read the story someday in the book that's awesome and just just the whole point of the story is that's just really important random acts of kindness just because it, it ripples out exactly and then and you never know. Yeah. Then you're the next person. Then that person's kind to another person. And the same thing with anger and negativity. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I bought one book that I haven't read. Actually, I didn't buy it. I just downloaded the sample where this gentleman and his wife walked from Portugal, walked the Camino from Portugal, didn't Mm -hmm. carry any bags. They had the bags sent ahead. They stayed in only hotels. Mm -hmm. They took over a month and they didn't get any blisters. Wow. Did you meet anyone like that that had no blisters? Some people, you know, now when I walk it, I don't really get blisters because I, I just learned that you, if you feel any sort of heat or any sort of pressure on any part, you just stop, you fix it. You just don't let, you learn how to not let blisters form nowadays. So, I, you know, you get over that way. But what's interesting, you talk about that. So there are companies along the way that will take your bags and all that kind of stuff. And the bigger question, you know, people say, oh, that's not really the true pilgrim experience. They're not roughing it. And my answer to that is there's no wrong way to do the Camino as long as you just respect other people on the Camino you know, who live there or walking it. And if, if they can afford to take a hotel and if getting their bags carried or what they need to do the Camino, more power to them, you know, as long as they respect everything else. Because yeah. I also figured, particularly in, in the peak time, at the, the low cost hostels along the way, there could be a lot of competition for those in like in the August, July months. So if someone can stay in a hotel and free up a bed in the hostel, that, that helps other people too. So it's that ripple effect. So right. there's lots of different ways to do the Camino. You could do it in somewhat luxury. You could do it kind of bare bones, but there's no wrong way to do it as long as you're respectful. I like that. I like that answer. And then did you carry a pack and was it heavy? Did, you, did it change from what you brought the first time to the second time to the third time? Definitely. I've done the baggage service once just when I was walking with some new folks and I wanted to 
as we went over the mountain, the Pyrenees and stuff, I want to give them a break, but I always carry my bag. And then I definitely learned like the more you go, the, the more you learn, the, the more you realize less is more. So the first time I was walking the Camino, I had, you know, I had a backpack and I filled up every inch in it. Cause I was like, I got the space, but then you realize you're, you feel that weight every step. So I was learning that, you know what? I don't need five different pairs of pants. I just really need two or three. And I don't need all these different colored shirts. I just want to get my two or three best ones and I'm going to wash them all the time. So I ended up like donating stuff or throwing stuff away as I went that first time. And you learn the rule of thumb is you don't want more than 10% of your body weight in your pack. And you end up washing stuff as you go along the way. You definitely learn less is more. And that's a lesson that you take kind of life after the Camino, which is nice to have, isn't so nice to have if you've got to carry it. So true. I did a backpacking trip with a friend. I've only done it once. And I'd never been backpacking before. And he was an expert backpacker, goes backpacking all the time. I bought a pack. I said, how much weight should I bring? And he goes, as much as you feel comfortable carrying, which is the wrong answer for a woman and maybe anybody. (laughs) And I think my pack was 40 or 45 pounds. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And my pack was way heavier than his. That's including the water. Yeah. And you have a tent too? Tent, sleeping bag, food. It was backpacking in the backcountry, food, little stove or the jet boil, everything. And so after the first day, it was, I was all downhill and I was like, yeah, this is hard, but I can totally do this. And then the third day it was all uphill in the sun and it was through poison oak. So it was, it was, I joke about it now in retrospect, but it was only two years ago and I was in my fifties. And so I got blisters. I got poison oak, almost got sunstroke. We ran out of water three times, like completely out of water in the heat going uphill. And I'm like, you're the expert. (laughs) You suck. And he would leave me. He would just leave me and go ahead. Oh yeah. Every single day. He just left me because I was too slow. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. So it was brutal. And then we were done like a week after I said, when are we going again? And he said, you're joking. You would go again with me. And I said, yeah, but I know what to do this time. And it goes back to as a great lesson. You can't count on somebody else, even if you think you can. And I'm not saying you can't count on people, but you should put all your eggs in that basket. Yeah. And and there's a lesson there with the Camino as well, which a lot of people say, I want to walk the Camino, but I can't find anyone to do it with me. And then my answer to that is a lot of people, including women, do the Camino on their own. Because if you want a social experience, it's super easy, particularly on the French way, the most popular route. It's super easy to meet other pilgrims and pilgrims are all into meeting each other. And it's easy to figure out who pilgrims are and all that kind of stuff. And it's better to go there on your own and then to, to find your Camino family than it is to drag someone who doesn't want to do it. And then they ruin your time and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, my advice to people is for the Camino is just go and do it yourself because you, you'll it can be as social as you want if, if you want that experience. I've heard that. And I also have read and I and even just with my brief backpacking experience found that time alone on a trail is really important too. So if you're with yeah. somebody, maybe they want to engage the whole time. And if you go alone, you can be with people and then you can be alone. Exactly. Juxtaposition, which I think is really important for spiritual growth. Yeah, I think that's one of the things about the Camino that make it powerful is you get all this alone time where you can reflect in your head about your own experiences and other things. But then you also meet people from all over the world and you learn about their experiences and and all that. So you're learning and you get this time to to reflect. And that's why I wrote a book coming out of the Camino. I didn't walk the Camino to write a book, but I was learning these lessons and I was reflecting on my career. I'm like, oh my God, I wish I knew all these things. As I was leading teams, I would have been a much better boss. I would have been better at my job. People would have probably been happier if I'd applied these lessons I've learned with Camino. So that's 
that's why I wrote the blog that turned into a book because it was that combination of alone time to reflect and then all this uh, learning from people from all over the world. It's just, it's the unique thing about the Camino. Yeah, I like the spin that's on your book because if you write, especially, and I don't know if yours fits into memoir, but if you write memoir or you write a nonfiction, the character, which is you, still has to have an arc. So Mm -hmm. you still have to be changed from the beginning to the end. You have to have the hero's journey. So you still have to have the same things that are in a fiction book. And you also have to have a focus that's different from everybody else that's written the same book about the same thing. Yeah. So there's dozens and dozens of of books about out there about the Camino, which are, there's some guidebooks out there, you know, go from point A to point B and here's a place along the way. And then a lot of books out there are people's, basically they, they took their journal they say, day one, I experienced this and I did that. Day two, I did this. And those are great. A lot of people just take their journal and they self-publish it. And those are wonderful if you want to have an experience there. My, my book's different in that I wanted to, to impart the lessons from the Camino. So I, I do a little bit of before and after. Here's Victor before. Here's Victor on the Camino. And here's how, what Victor learned from that. But then I, I augmented that with I interviewed about 100 other pilgrims from 16 different countries and asked them if they'd share their stories about lessons they learned. And, and, and they did. And they're wonderful. My book's very unique that way. It's hard to explain, but it's part memoir, part Camino journal, part leadership book, and then part travel journal of other people. I wanted to do something different about the Camino. I didn't want to say the day one I did this, day two I did that. I want to do something different. So that's how it came out. Yeah, I think that's great. It's Those are already done. And it's not that, that your journey, if you had chosen to do that, would have been totally different. But I like the the different take on it. And so did you interview people while you were walking or did you interview them after? Yeah, so that's a great question. I, I didn't walk the Camino with an intention of writing a book. So I wasn't interviewing people on there. In fact, that would have felt odd. So what I did is after I, I wrote the blog and then the blog snowballed, it was the top of LinkedIn with, it was like me, Sir Richard Branson and Ariana Huffington, the top of LinkedIn wow. for a few days. Wow. So that I was like, okay, so that, that, so that snowballed into the book deal with, with Amicom, which is now HarperCollins. So then, I, so the good news was I got a book deal. I'm like, yay. And then you get terrified. Oh my God, I got to write a book and I have a deadline. So I'm writing down my stuff and I'm like, oh my God, I need some help. So then you learn this lesson on the Camino. You learn to ask for help. Sometimes you get lost. Sometimes you need food or whatever. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply my first lesson from Camino. I'm going to ask for help. So I put a thing out there on Facebook. I said, hey, anyone on the Camino willing to share your stories? I'm writing this book about these lessons. And that's where there's a saying you get the Camino provides. And then magically, 100 people, you know, not only shared their stories, and they were wonderful. I picked through them all. But then, so then I'm like, oh my God, this is great. And then my publisher's like, yeah, those stories are great. But by the way, you've got to get written authorization from every single one of them to use them. And I'm like, yep. oh my God, this is like the worst ever. And these, there's people from Australia. That, these are all strangers. I've never met them. people from Australia, all over Europe, you know, elsewhere. But, so then I email them like, I, I need you to sign this form, physically handwrite this form and take a picture of it and send it back. And by God, everyone did it. Huh? It was like this powerful moment. I was so inspired by the power of that. And now I've got friends all over the world who are like in the book and stuff. And I've done a book tour and I, I meet some of these folks. So one of, one of the people I actually did meet on the Camino and I tell a story is a guy named Tony in Los Angeles. And I had a book tour stop in Los Angeles. And then I, I told that story and I said, Tony is in the audience tonight. He's from Los Angeles. So he got up and it's the only time I always sign books at my book event. It's the only time someone else was asked to sign my book too. So they, people asked Tony to sign his page in the book, which is really fun. That's great. That's super cool. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I'm totally going to read it now. No, I'm going to read it. I'm really going to read it. So I read one book, and this is a kind of a non sequitur. The first book that I started reading about the Camino, and the woman, I'm I'm sober, and I used to be, and I still say, addict, alcoholic, that no longer. Congrats. 
Yeah. Thank you for almost 13 next month. It'll be 13 years. So the first book I picked up every stop was about alcohol. And I understand that there's alcohol on the trail that you stop at restaurants and you might want to have a beer and that's fine. But I don't want to read about all like every single drink she had. And it's, and it was super in depth and what it was all made of. And I think that would be great for somebody who really likes drinking, Yeah, but it would be a page for every stop or sometimes two pages. Now my my font is a little larger on my Kindle because I'm older, but it was my two pages, but I would have to skip past it. And I realized I was skipping past like 25% of the book. And, mm. and then also there was something I, anyway, I ret- I've never returned a Kindle book in my life. I returned it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was just not, I just didn't like, and then the next one I read is I'm, I'm still reading it, but it's yeah, it's le- less out. Yeah, you would hope that they, they would at least, you know, mention that up front on the, the, the description of this, this one's very much a booze infused kind of thing. Yeah. That's the other thing. Now you, that reminded me why I didn't like the other part of it is at the beginning, she said, I'm not religious and I didn't walk this for any religious reason. I'm not spiritual. And so I don't talk about that aspect of it. And then it was all about Jesus. So that's fine, but don't yeah. say up front, don't give me an expectation. I'm Jewish and it's not like I'm anti-Jesus, but I just yeah. am not a religious person at all. And yeah. so don't, and I consider myself spiritual, but I don't want to hear about religion if, unless I know that's what I'm going to hear about. And then I, yeah. and then yeah. she also mentioned up front that she wasn't an alcoholic. So I thought, hmm. <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. So what would you tell people that might be interested in walking the Camino? Where do they start? I'd answer that in a couple of ways. So one is a lot of people say, oh, I've got the Camino on my quote unquote bucket list. You know, I'm going to do that quote unquote someday. And I say, the key with that is, is don't just throw it in this bucket list and say, you feel like you've done something, you put it on this this list of yours, have a date with it to say, you know what, I'm going to walk the Camino on my 50th birthday or when the kids finally leave the house or on our anniversary or whatever it is, but put some date on it and then take some action to it. Maybe take that vacation time off. If you want to do it next year, take that time off or maybe right away for your, your pilgrim passport, do something where you get some, you put some skin in the game to, um, to actually do it. That's how you get your mind in the right place. And then where do you start physically? There's different routes. There's many different versions of the Camino. The most popular route, about 50% of people do is the Camino Frances which goes from just on the other side, the traditional starting point is in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, just on the other side of the Pyrenees Mountains. And then it goes from there to Pamplona, to uh, Logroño, to uh, León, Burgos León, and then Santiago de Compostela. And that takes about 32 days at 15 miles a day. So a lot of people start there. Some people, uh, you just have to do the last 100 kilometers to get your Compostela. So a lot of people start at the 100 kilometer mark, which is like Soria. And that tends to be, that's where like the big tour buses go and the church groups and all that. And the trail gets a lot more crowded at that last hundred kilometers. Uh, so some people do that. So it's all about where you start depends on your goal. Do you really want to walk into Santiago, get your Compostela and you've only got a week off, then you have to start like a hundred kilometers away. And, and the advice I give to people there is maybe consider doing some different trails for that last hundred kilometers. So I like going in from the Camino Finisterre, which is the backward way Finisterre and Muxia are on the ocean. And some pilgrims go like an additional three to five days after after Santiago. And you can walk backwards and get your 100 kilometers from Muxia that way, which is a nice combination. Some people walk the Portuguese way, you know, the last 100 kilometers. But it's all about what goal do you want, how much time do you have, and, and what are you looking for? But the, the traditional place is on the, 
the French way is, is the, the, the most popular. If you're looking for that social aspect of meeting people all over the world, that's the one I recommend. And then where you start depends on your goal and, and the time you have. And then I heard that it was some people choose to start from Pamplona, which you did the first time, yep. but rather than that town that I can't pronounce that's prior to going over yeah. the Pyrenees because it's hard to go over the Pyrenees. So what did you notice from your different times, whether you did it or didn't do it? Yeah, the first time I, I went, I'd started in Pamplona for two reasons. One is Pamplona is a lot easier to get to because it's a big city and you can fly into there from Madrid and all that kind of stuff. And the other reason, I was a little scared uh, of going over the Pyrenees Mountains, to be honest. Right, right. And so you start in Pamplona and, and you basically just skip the first three days. But then I went back and I've, now I've crossed the Pyrenees I don't know, three or four times. And I, I love starting in saint jean pied de port uh, It's worth getting to because the cool part about that is it's traditional starting point. So you're starting with the same group of people and you, and you share that experience going over the mountains. And the first day, it's a tough day, but you're powered by adrenaline and, and you're so excited. And all these other people are doing the exact same thing, starting with you and you meet and it's your only pilgrims on that part. So I really enjoy that first, the first three days. In fact, my favorite stretch of the Camino, I've done five different Caminos on, on many of the different versions, many different paths. My, my favorite part is doing from Saint-Jean, Pied de Port, the beginning part of the Camino Francais into Burgos. It's about two weeks. And you go over the mountains, you go through Basque country, which is fascinating, really interesting food. And then you go through wine country, Lagronio. It's kind of like the Napa Sonoma of Spain. And then you stop just before you go into the Meseta. And Burgos is this beautiful town with this amazing cathedral. And then you stop just before you go to the Meseta, which is like the flat part of Spain. It's flat and sparse and all that, which is beautiful in and of itself. But a lot of people skip that part. So that's where I keep going back. Yeah, though that makes sense. And I, where I'm at in the book I'm reading now, she just finished the Meseta and she was saying a lot of people or the monks that she met on the road were saying people skip it, but this is the part where you truly face yourself. So can you speak to that? Yeah, like people say the, the Camino, if you do the full French route, that it's like, uh, it's like birth and rebirth. So you start, the Camino breaks you when you go over the mountains, like in, you, know, you, you start in this one thing and then you go over the mountains and you're like, oh my God, I'll never be able to finish this. You just, you break down and then you start building up. And then the Meseta is like this part where you just, you're totally just self-reflective because there's not a whole lot of, you're not going through big towns and all that kind of stuff. You Very sparse things. It's flat. It's just you and yourself in this countryside. And then you start getting towards the end and, and you go, you went up, you go up a little bit again. And Los Obrero is just like this amazing Celtic town. It's like almost like you can't believe it's real. And you get to that part and then you go into Santiago and you're, you're just getting in your groove when you get into Santiago and you're happy that you've been able to do this and you never thought you'd be able to accomplish that. You're sad that you're leaving your Camino family. So it's like this, it's this whole, the month that it takes to do the full Camino, the 32 days at 15 miles a day or so. It, it, is, it is like a, a small version of life. You break down and you rebuild yourself. So it's wow. interesting that way. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And what about naysayers? What did, did people say that you were crazy? Yeah, it's like, why is walking? Why is this fun? Because it's not everyone's idea of, of a vacation, and all that kind of stuff. And there's the other thing, I love doing podcasts like this too, because if you go out and you do your research, there's a, there's one site I, people come across a lot, 10 reasons why the Camino sucks. And then one of the reasons people say it's, oh, it's 90% on roads and all that kind of stuff. You're walking next to cars. And I'm like, I've, I've walked many Caminos that if, if you are walking on roads, they're, they're country roads where you're more likely to see a tractor than a car. And there, if, there are a few spots when you're on a highway, but they've done a good job of building paths now where you, if it's a busy highway, you're definitely out of traffic and all that kind of stuff. So it's, I think when that was written, I think it was written a while ago, and I think they've done a lot to improve it. And other things. So there's walking everyone, walking all day is not everyone's cup of tea because on average it's 15 miles a day. You can do it slower if you want. You got all day to do it. So you're walking, you get up in the morning, 
you walk, maybe you stop and get breakfast or coffee, then you walk and you get lunch, then you walk, you get in maybe 2, 3, 4 p.m., you put yourself away, you shower, go to dinner and you go to bed early and you wake up again and do it. So it's, it's not sitting on a beach drinking margaritas or anything like that, but it is wonderful if, you, if you're into kind of outdoor stuff. Right. And you don't have to be an athlete to do it too, because the other thing I tell people is about 30% of people who finish it are over 60 years of age. And you don't have to be an athlete. You don't have to be a marathon runner or anything like that. You just have to be able to walk. Uh, and if I, I kind of tell people, if you can walk a mile, you could probably walk 10 miles. And if you can walk 10 miles, you can walk 15. And if you can walk 15 once, then it's just a, a game of your heart and your mind. And you can do it over and over again. But the key is don't wait to do it until you can't walk a mile because you, you get too old or something happens to you. And then you're not able to do it. So do it while you can. Yeah. Definitely. And that was going to be one of my questions was the, the age range and fit fitness. And did you prepare for it? Did you walk with a backpack on prior to doing it? Yeah, yeah, I did. So in fact, you definitely want to break your shoes in. So you don't want to go over there with new shoes because of the blister war will kill you. So you want to invest in good shoes because you're going to be in those for eight hours a day and, and you want to break them in and walk them in. You want to walk with your packs and then you want to, you want to walk one day, at least 15 miles. Do it. That's a long day. And you kind of feel weird. I remember I was living in DC at that time and I'm walking like all over DC and I've got my backpack on and it's, what's this weirdo doing? You're out of place there, but you just, you got to feel what it's like to get your body through that for a while to, to break it in and, and break your equipment. in. yeah, I'd say at least walk like 10 miles. Yeah, People do go on the Camino, never walking at all. And they do it and they struggle for a while and they feel the pain and all that, but they still are able to do it. Just the training really makes it more enjoyable when you start. Yeah. That would make perfect sense. And then did you feel like you were in better health afterwards? Yeah, definitely. So you, you don't lose a ton of weight walking uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that you're, it's made for walking. Walking is very efficient that it's not a huge calorie burner, but you do lose some weight and you get out, but then, but you're eating a long way too because right. the food's good and, and wine is super cheap in, in uh, Spain as well. It's cheaper than water. So you, you celebrate that way. So you don't go there. It's not like a good, here's how to lose 50 pounds kind of thing, but you, you get in better shape because yeah, of course you're out in the air all day. Yeah, the big thing, you just want to make sure you, you uh, protect yourself from the sun because you're out in the sun all day. So that's the biggest thing. Yeah, like sunburn, sunscreen, all that. Yeah, just sunscreen. And, and the funny part is when you're walking the Camino, you're always walking east to west. So you can tell pilgrims if they're wearing shorts, they've got a suntan just on the back of their legs. That's <laughs> pretty funny. funny. Do you think that there are better times in the year, better months to do it? Definitely. That's a great question. So my advice to people, the Camino is a busy trail, so avoid the busy months. The busiest month is August. The second busiest month is July, and then June after that, and then early September. So definitely avoid August. I avoid Europe in general August because it's, it's a vacation month, and it's the busiest month of the Camino. What that means is there's competition for the beds. So if you're staying in the albergues, even if you want to stay in private rooms and in hotels and stuff like that, there's that's the peak competition, and you're going to have to make reservations or, or keep walking and that kind of stuff. If you go and avoid August totally, avoid late July, avoid early September. And after that, it's good. And then the other time you want to avoid is the dead of winter. So you don't want to go in November, December, January, February, just A, because of the weather it might you know, be cold and all that kind of stuff. You may not be able to go over the Pyrenees or other places, but, but the other one is a lot of the places will be closed because out, out of season. So the albergues will be closed. You won't see that many people. So if you, if you want the social experience, you won't get that. So I think you know, basically try to go March, April, May, June, late September, October would be the ideal months to go. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. That's the same for most of Europe too. Like you said, I've been to Paris in all different times of the year and the summer was the worst. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've still done, I've, I've walked it in July and August. I've done it, but it's, yeah, it's more fun when you don't have to compete for beds and stuff. And the heat, like you said. 
So what's funny is like uh, Northern Spain, it's, I was living in DC at the time. So Northern Spain, yeah, it'd be getting like in the eighties, like low nineties. And for me, but it wasn't humid. So I'm like, this is refreshing compared to Washington, DC. Now, if you're from Ireland or if you're from you know, like Sweden or something, you're like, oh my God, it's so hot. It's all relative to where you are. Right. Now that's so that Southern Spain can get blistering hot over hundred Fahrenheit, 40 uh, centigrade. And, and that said, last time I did the Camino was like record heat in Northern Spain. And so we would end up getting up at 5 a.m. And trying to finish before 1 or 2 p.m. before the, the sun got super hot. Yeah. And that one more question. I'm <laughs> trying to wrap up, but I have so many questions. What did you think of the hostels? Because I've heard so many different stories, of, like horror stories even. Yeah. When people hear hostels, they think of, yeah, there's literally a horror movie called Hostel. Oh, know? I've heard about and, that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, you might think about hostels if you're in your 20s and you're doing the, the Euro rail backpacking around Europe to stay in hostels where they're big parties and it's all like college age kids. And it's, it's like a, a big thing. Like the hostels in the community aren't like that because they're, they're just for pilgrims. So pilgrims tend to be a little older and they're all focused on hiking. So it's not like they're out going to the dance clubs all night. So it's, it's they're pilgrim focused hostels of all ages. They're more adults. And a lot of people who've never stayed in a hostel will stay in pilgrim hostels, but there are different types of them. There's like upscale hostels and then there's like bare bones hostels, some are religious. They might be run by the church or whatever. So there's all types of hostels. And the one piece of advice I give, if, if people aren't sure, geez, I don't know if I want to sleep in a room with 10 or 50 strangers, but you have options too. Sometimes hostels have a private room where, you know, you maybe you, you know, particularly if you're traveling with someone, you, you can get a private room, maybe share a bathroom or not. But, but the, there's also B&Bs and little hotels and motels along a lot of the trails where you can reserve. So there's, you have different options that way, but the hostels are, I encourage everyone to try the hostels because it is, even if you've never stayed in a hostel, it's a fun experience. It's a big part of the social experience and how you meet people. I've just heard some horror stories of snoring all night and people not being able to sleep at all. <laughs> yeah. You, you learn to invest in earplugs and, and it becomes part of the experience too, but yeah. Where would you tell people to look for information if they wanted to take the next step? Yeah. So the, the best place to go for information, like what's the logistics, how much is the cost and all that kind of stuff is every country that has a lot of pilgrims has a nonprofit that issues the, uh, the, the program credential and others. And it's a great source to get like the most up-to-date, the most official information about the Camino. So in the U.S., it's called AmericanPilgrims.org. And then and they have a Facebook page, like American Pilgrims, APOC, American Pilgrims on the Camino. In Britain, it's called like the St. James Confraternity, the Confraternity of St. James. But every country has one of those. Look for the organization, the nonprofit that issues the pilgrim credential. And that's just a great place to get information about the Camino, like what are the logistics and all that. And particularly now with what's the Camino like during COVID and what's it going to be like after COVID. Those are the official kind of places I would go. Yeah. So the answer is yes. So people have been walking the Camino. They were like, you can see the numbers who finish the Camino every day. And there were like you know, five or six people finishing every day. They were mostly just from Spain and mostly just from the, the state in Spain, because there was a restriction. You couldn't even cross province lines in, in Spain. It looks like it's going to be opened up a little bit more, but that's where you go to sources like that to, to figure out what the things are. But at the end of the day, my advice to people is, you know what? I'm not going to go to Camino this year. I would love to, but I'm going to let Spain figure it out. Let the Camino heal a little bit because they've got, particularly with things like the, the hostels, they've got to figure out how does a big shared hostel work in COVID. Right. Maybe it's half capacity and that kind of stuff. So I'm like, let Spain figure it out and do a Camino next year or afterwards. The thing I tell people is, you know what? The Camino su survived the Black Plague in the 1300s. It's going to do all right after COVID. It's going to be there. Plan your Camino accordingly. And so do you, you plan to do it again? Oh yeah. I'd love to do it like every year. And I'd love to do a thing where I do all the trails and that's the life goal, but to keep going back. And then when I go back, I turn it into a little bit thing. I, I record videos along the way of new lessons I'm learning and I've got my Facebook pages and like 15,000 followers. 
So I try to post new content there and yeah, so I, I love doing it, but I also use it to, to connect with, with my followers too. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. And did you have hardships? Do you have any painful, super hard stories from your trips there? So the blister, the, the pharmacy story is one of the big ones. I also twisted my ankle and you learn to, my toughest day, I'll tell you my toughest day. So on my first Camino, I screwed up in my planning and I jammed two days together and I ended up walking like 25 miles in one day. And it was July in Spain. And the next day I wake up and I'm like so mad at myself for being so stupid. And I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere. And then I start the next day off and I'm staring for two hours in this flat thing. And there's this hill ahead of me. I have to climb over this hill. And I'm like, what on earth am I doing? This is the stupidest thing I've ever done. I'm never going to be able to walk across Spain. And this hill ahead of me is just taunting me. I didn't have much choice. So I kept walking. And when I got halfway up that hill, I saw a marker on the side of the hill and it was to this pilgrim who had died on that spot trying to get over that hill. That put my head in a better place because I was like, you know what? I'm having a bad day, but I'm having a bad day doing something I love doing. And there are a lot of people out there who would gladly exchange their challenges for mine. So I paid my respects to that marker and it got me a good place. And that got me to the top of the hill. And when I got to the top of the hill, I, I saw this amazing view of the Camino winding, stretching for miles with pilgrims, little dots on it. And I took a picture and that picture, I'd, I'd say changed my life because it's the picture I put at the top of the blog. And I think that's why the blog went so popular because that picture. So when I ended up writing the book, the publisher said, who do you want to write the book to? And I said, I'm going to write the book to uh, dedicate it to a man who I've never met. And it was Jose G. Valino. He was the man who had died on the, the side of that hill. And I wanted to, to thank him because he never got to see that view, but I did. And, and I got up there because he helped me get up there. So I, w- I wanted to dedicate the book to him. So that was my hardest day in the Camino. And that's how I got through it. Wow. I'm all tearing up. That's awesome. (laughs) Wow. And that leads me to question. There are a lot of deaths that I've read about on the Camino. And so that stops people or maybe scares people from doing it. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, there you get 300,000 people finishing the Camino a year. So that just the rule of numbers that there's going to be some just the statistical tables will say there's certain things there. When there, there are deaths in the Camino, the I think the majority of them are only about 5% of people, 5 to 10% of people who do the Camino do it on a bike. And I think a lot of those are bicyclists who get hit by cars. So that's one thing. So that, But then you want to be in shape and all that. You'll see markers as you go, people who maybe have a heart attack or something like that. And it is, it's a sad thing and you want to take care. But I wouldn't let that scare you. You just want to be, make sure you're prepared for yourself. Maybe talk to your doctor if you do have worries about that. But a lot of that is is bikers. And the most dangerous thing you're going to find the Camino is cars. And, and that. the other question I get is people say, is it safe? You're walking alone and, and all that. I, I can't speak to experience walking as a woman, but I talked to a lot of women who do it as a solo. And they said, you know, I, I feel safer on the Camino than I do where I live. And you got to be smart and all that. But pilgrims look out for each other. People along the way, generally, they support pilgrims because they respect the thing that they're doing. But they also, a lot of these small villages, they rely on the tourism dollars as well. The Camino, it's it's gen- it's safe. You just got to use your common sense, but it's Crime-wise, it's very safe. You got to be careful about pickpockets, that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's it's not like it's not like mass ca- casualties happen. It's very few and far between. And sad when you hear about someone dying in the Camino, but it does happen. It's it's a grueling physical thing. But it's right. not like, it's not like mountain climbing. You don't have to be like a mountain climber. You're not going to altitude. You're not running marathons. But you just you know, you're walking a lot. Yeah, yeah. I read this one woman. The book that I'm reading now. One of her friends was hit by a car and and killed. And the woman was not in the road at the time. She was off the road and the guy was drunk and Mm. he was driving too fast. And the car was flipped over on top of her and the police came and the police knew the guy. And so they were laughing and having a conversation and the woman was dead. And yeah. And her husband was standing there screaming. That sounds really out of character. I've been on the Camino five times. I've never 
seen that and I've, I've never heard anything just it's when you do hear about a death or something it's very sad and they treat it so that's very out of character for what I've heard so it's okay. terrible that that happened to her yeah that's good to hear that's out of character I was like uh, I, I was like I'm walking the Camino and then I was like I'm not walking the Camino anymore because <laughs> I could just because of that story all right I have to ask what you would tell your 12 year old self now mm-hmm. if you could give your 12 year old self one piece of advice just do it don't let it sounds impossible to do something like that, but if you figure if other people are doing it and you got a goal, just do it. Just don't veto yourself. Don't veto yourself. Go out and do it because as long as other people are doing it, it can be done. Do it. Yeah. And do you do other traveling? Do you travel throughout the year normally? Well, not not obviously. Yeah. I, I travel quite a bit. So hiking and biking trails are my thing. That's I've I've done hiking and biking trails in fifteen different countries. That's what I do for fun. And my girlfriend also does that. So I. So the, uh, you know, a crazy part about this is I met my girlfriend on the Camino eight years ago. And, but the crazy part is I live in the U S and she lives in Sweden. So we've been having a long distance. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been doing a long distance thing for eight years where we made a deal that we have to see each other every, every three months, at least. So we've done that. And then in COVID I was able to travel across using there's exemptions for close family relations. So I, I, I went there in October through January. And in fact, the BBC did a story on our trip as an example. They did this like four minute video. It was like the number one story in the BBC for a day. It cool. came out in December. Yeah. So now we're talking about trying to get me, get me a, a visa so I can live there more. Oh, yeah. I love that. That's a great story. So do you guys do other through hikes or biking together then? Yeah. So a lot of times what we've done is she's a teacher. So she gets like a long summer off and stuff. So we'll meet like on her spring break, we'll meet on a trail. So we've done like Ireland, Malta, England. We'll meet on all these different trails in Europe or elsewhere. And then as a way to connect with each other. And then I'll go there for extended times in, in the summer and she'll come here and stuff. So yeah, we do a lot of trails together. It's our, yeah, that's how we like to travel. Amazing. And uh, is there another trail that you love second to the Camino? Obviously Camino is number one. Yeah. In general, where I got really hooked on walking trails is in, I lived and worked in England for a while and the, there's trail, the trails in England uh, are so good because they're these ancient medieval walking trails. And you can basically, I was, I was based in London. And on the weekends, I would just take a, I bought this book, in fact, it's called right here, Country Walks in, in England. And you basically, you take a train out maybe an hour outside of London, and then you walk from to a little village, and then there'll be a route to another little village. And then along the way, you'll, you're walking like through pastures, and you stop at a little local pub, you go to these little villages that you would never go to, and then you take the train back into London. So that's, I got hooked on hiking trails, walking trails, they call them rambling trails in, in England. So I could, I could go back to England and, and just do a different trails there. That's my probably my favorite place to walk. Wow. That's great. How fun. This is exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So where can people find <laughs> you and the name of your book again? Yeah. So my book is The Camino Way, and uh, The Camino Way Lessons in Leadership from Walk Across Spain. And the best place to find me is victorprince.com. But I've also, I'm big on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I've got a Facebook page. Uh, the, if you do hashtag The Camino Way book, you'll see I post all kinds of pictures and videos from my Caminos there. And then on, on victorprince.com, I also post pictures and videos from the Camino and also from my, I've done a book tour in like almost 30 cities around the world. I, I post pictures from those there. So those are great places to find me that I post to all the time. Okay. And Instagram, now I'm starting on Instagram too. Good. I'm the trail pro on Instagram. That's And then on Clubhouse, obviously too. I do a weekly room on Clubhouse for the Camino to help people oh, get their answers. What, yeah, when Wednesday, Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, which is nine. I do it at 3 p.m. Eastern because that's 9 p.m. Central European time and it's noon. Pacific time. So it reaches a lot of people. And then I might have to do another one to, to reach out to folks in Asia as well. So we'll see. But yeah. Are you part of a group 
I started club. the Camino Club on Clubhouse, and it's got it's got close to a thousand members now. Okay. But then I'm also I do a lot of stuff on the Solo Travel channel on Clubhouse. Yeah, I, I do rooms. You. Yeah, That's yeah, I, I do. Okay, I do. Yeah. I do three. I leave three or four rooms a week there. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a, probably where we met. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great place. I was listening to another podcaster recently who was like, "Oh, I, I got really mad." Actually, he said, "Oh, there's." Clubhouse is new. This was a couple of months ago. And so I tried it for 24 hours and it's ridiculous and don't waste your time and you can't learn anything there. And I was offended, actually. I was angry. And I thought, I don't think that it's fair to say I tried it for a day. Yeah. And don't try it because I didn't like it for the one day because there's different rooms every single day. I have learned more on Clubhouse business wise. Health-wise, I, I could list everything. I have learned so much traveling-wise. I go to yep. sober rooms. I have learned more on freaking Clubhouse than I've learned on any of the other social media apps. Yeah, it's not for everyone, but it is, it's a super good app for folks you know, for who it is. So I found it super useful as well. I've met a lot of really interesting people. And I love, so for me, the Talking about the Camino is, uh, it's more about, it's more than just like trying to sell copies of my book. It's on a mission for me because Camino changed my life. Right. And I think it can do that for a lot of other people. So I'm on a mission to help other people discover the Camino and, and encourage them to do it if they want to do it and get them over that hump because I think it can change their lives as well. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing that because I've been obsessed and wanting to walk the Camino since a friend of mine just mentioned it about 10 years ago in passing. He didn't even tell me the stories. And I just <laughs> thought, wow, that sounds amazing. Thank you for your time and have a great day. That's yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you received value from this podcast, I would be crazy happy if you could leave five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. That does help the podcast get seen by more people. Or you could share it with others who you think may benefit from listening to it. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and have a fantastic day. Mm-hmm.